Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. It's an absolute honour to be back again this year. Uh, I hope you don't mind my voice is a bit croaky. I, if you told me a few weeks ago I'd be back up preaching this soon, uh, I was released from hospital last Friday, uh, flew out Saturday morning to New Zealand and preached seven times. And so they had a stool ready for me so that I, because I have had no energy in my body and I didn't have to use it once. So they may call it adrenaline. I'd like to think it's the Holy Ghost holding you together and putting you together. And so um, it's, uh, when I got the phone call about tonight, it's great that Sharon, my wife, could come as well. Um, I don't think she'd like to see the inside of hospitals. <laughs> uh, it's hard on the family that have to be there around you and so grateful. And, but anyway, I've got to get moving and uh, I'll share a little bit of the story as we go along. But yesterday I was home just reading and uh, I get stuff on my phone from around the world and this uh, article from Britain that really broke my heart actually from a, uh, a, a group of people that are doing surveys around the UK and they surveyed people about believing in the resurrection and believing in the crucifixion and the death of Jesus and about 50% of all the Christians they interviewed and they came to the conclusion that about 50% of people that call themselves Christian in the UK don't actually believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, how dumb can you be and still breathe, honestly? I mean, you know, you call yourself a Christian. And what I've discovered over the last few years, that there's a difference between, between being a Christian and a churchian. See, a lot of people are churchians more than Christians. A church, a churchian is a Christ, a churchgoer. A Christian is a Christ follower. A lot of churchians transition looking for that one thing that's going to make them happy. But Christians transform. And when trials come, we transform on the inside rather than just take off and transition. You see, a lot of churchians think through reason, but Christians think through revelation. Churchians are easily offended. All for Jesus, I'm offended. <laughs> so they go to another parish. The scripture says, for lack of vision, my people perish, not go to another parish. <laughs> but people go to another parish. And so because they are not feeling it anymore, but I want to tell you, Christians are easily extended, not offended. Because every time we go through a trial, our endurance gets a chance to grow and we become stronger and stronger in the faith that we know to be real and personal. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't do Jesus on Facebook. You can't do Jesus by just going on Instagram and, and, and looking at what everybody else says about him or going on YouTube. It's got to be personal. And when it's personal and you go through persecution or trials, it's that personal knowledge of who he is that can carry you through every challenge that comes your way. I don't want to just be a church attender. I want to be a, I want, some people are into church attendance, but we need to be into Christ's resemblance. I've led people to Christ through my cancer journey. I've spoken to more people. I'll share a couple of those stories that I, I didn't need a pulpit. Ladies and gentlemen, I haven't had a pulpit for nearly 12 months, but I've had a platform. Too many Christians go looking for pulpits when we need a platform. Every Christian's got a platform where we can be a voice for Jesus Christ. And so tonight, Jesus is real. 
He does exist. He did rise from the dead. And if we don't believe that, let's go and buy a fish shop down the road and do something else with our lives because I don't want to be a churchian. I want to be a true Christ follower because that's the only way to live. Sharon and I have been serving Jesus for over 40 years now. From the day we responded to his calling till now, his hand has always been on our lives. I've always sensed that uh, favour of God and the favour of God. In fact, I'm writing a book at the moment called Singing in the Pain. How do you sing in the pain? You see, favour of God isn't just when things go good. The favour of God is Him being present with you through every season of your life, knowing that He's really there going through the journey that you are going on. I remember when I first received the call to serve God in, in ministry, Pastor Fred Evans, some of you know him, came to see me in the menswear store I was working in. And he said to me, you know, there's such a call of God on your life. We want to invite you to join our staff at Paradise Church. And I was happy to work in the menswear store. I wasn't looking for my moment in the ministry because every day is ministry. Everything we do is ministry when Christ is at the core of your life. And so um, I remember being quite scared. You know, I thought, I don't, I don't think I can do this. And I remember he said, you need to get some scripture. You need to get a word from God. And I got on the bus that night to go home from work. And as I turned the bus ticket around, it said, whatever's around the corner, God's already there. And I go, wow. And then I'm going home on the bus and it said, uh, I opened my Bible and my devotion for that day was Isaiah 41 verse 9. I've called you from your mother's womb. Do not fear. I will uphold your hand. And inside of me, I knew this was more than a coincidence. I knew it was the God incidence, and I knew that God was at work. A few weeks ago, uh, in another out of hospital just for a short time, I was speaking at a church. My wife was with me in Adelaide, an Italian church, and I was telling the story. A few days later, the guy who was the best man at our wedding sent me this book called Talking Tickets. And it's the story of a man in Adelaide who was called by God to do all the sayings for the back of the bus tickets. All those years ago... A successful businessman in Adelaide with lots of money and had one calling in God for his whole life was to write sayings on the back of tram and bus tickets. And this is the book of all the stories of people whose lives were changed by reading the back of the bus ticket. And right here in the middle is whatever's around the corner, God's already there, the one that I got. And that's the most responded to one where people whose partner passed away and they were on their way to the hospital, but they'd already passed away and they got on the bus, an older man who wasn't driving, he got on the bus to go to the hospital and got that bus ticket and turned his life around and put his trust in Jesus. One man responding to God because he believes in the true Jesus to just write for bus tickets. And now this is a book about all that that my best man at our wedding sent to me after hearing me speak. He goes, there's a whole book on all those bus tickets. And I want to tell you, never look for a pulpit. Always ask God for your platform and you can make a huge difference for Jesus Christ. I remember all those days when we first started of the miracles of God's provision and, and so on. And so there's no doubt in my mind that God is for us, that He is great that he's awesome. And yet, a few years ago, we started a slightly different journey of not just everything going great, but being challenged in life through the brokenness of one of our children, which some of you know the story, 
And then three years ago, the death of our eldest son, Chris, who last time I was here, I was so raw with you because it's still, the pain was so real. And we prayed for so many of you. And since I've seen you, we've prayed for hundreds more. There's been over a couple of thousand people we've prayed for that have lost their children and for all over the world. And, you know, it doesn't take away my pain. I feel it every day. I wish I could say that it's better now, but it's actually not. In some ways, it gets worse as I watch his children grow up, as I watch his eldest son look just like him. And we watch and we see the growth of these kids and the voice sounds the same, the mannerisms are the same, but dad's not here. And yet we know he's in eternity. And I, I hope this doesn't sound weird, but God's presence in the midst of this pain is still very, very real. His presence is so very, very real. And so, you know, we, we, we had the brokenness of one son and the death of our eldest son, 2017, a major bowel operation. And 2018, I get diagnosed with cancer. So, you know, it's been a tough three. I'm sure there's people with more difficult stories than ours. But, you know, at the beginning, uh, at the beginning of 2018, I'm in New Zealand. I felt God give me a series of messages on living from eternity. That we don't live for eternity, we live from eternity. And that if we don't see things in the light of eternity, then a lot of stuff down here is not going to make sense. Remember Solomon, he tried everything under the sun. And he said, it all sucketh, the whole lot. He tried everything under the sun. But he never tried anything above the sun. He tried everything on earth. And at the end of the day, we're all going, last time I checked. At the end of the day, death is going to come to all of us because God's plan for a pure planet or for a new heaven and new earth is not now. Yet I believe He heals. I believe He restores. And I believe we can see miracles. But what about if He doesn't do it the way we want it done? And so today, I just want to encourage you that in every season, the power of the resurrection is available no matter what. So I was preaching in New Zealand and started to feel quite ill and to cut the story a little shorter, I got home, I was walking up the ramp at Adelaide Airport, my daughter came for the first time to pick me up uh, because she doesn't normally come and she could see I couldn't walk up the ramp and she helped me up the ramp and within days I'm in hospital, they can't find why my haemoglobin has gone down to 60, it's supposed to be 140 or something and then 23, Sharon knows better than me, I can't remember it all, 23 or 24 blood transfusions later. I couldn't walk. I, we had to change the side of the bed so that I'd be a bit closer to the bathroom if I had to go in the night. And Sharon would have to help me off and get there because I couldn't walk, couldn't breathe properly, rushed to hospital by ambulance because I couldn't breathe. And I'm thinking, where's the favour of God and all that? And yet, ladies and gentlemen in this room today, I am not stretching this one little bit. I want you to know that three things happened to me that I'll never, ever forget as long as I live. There I am being told by the doctor that this is not good. It's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And, uh, you know, he wasn't very positive at the beginning. Ten minutes after he told me, it was a bit dark there for about ten minutes, the doctor told me what I had. About 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes at the most. Something happened I can't describe other than three things surrounded me. Number one was a peace I'd never known to that level before. A deep, deep, deep peace that I just couldn't shake. And I go, okay, God. And this was my walk of faith, ladies and gentlemen. I said, God, I want to live. I don't want to die. And I believe you've put a message in my heart for the body of Christ and also for the community. And I believe that you want me to bring this message. But if not, and if this is my time, 
Jesus, I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to beg every five minutes for you to heal me. I'm just going to trust you with my life. And my greatest act of faith, Jesus, is going to be just to trust you. You're my daddy and you know what's best and I trust you with all my life. Peace came into my heart, I cannot describe. Then His presence came into the room and I could feel that God was just present. So presence of God got rid of the fear. The peace put trust in my heart. And then the purpose of God never left my life. Now I've left a pulpit and yet I've got a platform. The hospital room became like a church. I would leave my Bible on the side of the table. Nurses would come in. They'd say, what do you do? And the rest was history. And then crying. I lost my child. Oh, my brother died of cancer. How can you still have a faith? And the moment I talked about eternity, they understood. They said, but we've thought that Christianity is about everything being fixed. And we've got friends that preach at us, but their lives are a mess. You see, if we only give a temporal gospel, Jesus came to give us eternal life, not temporal life. And it's eternal healing, not just temporal healing. And I'm glad He heals. But I was ready either way. And I wasn't going to waste, like Matt said, one day. And so I started ministering in the hospital. And people just coming in, nurses coming in. One nurse burst into tears. She goes, can you give me a hug? i got tubes in my arms. The most incredible thing was I've written so many messages while... I'm on chemo. I wonder if that's all they put in that stuff. I mean, I got some great messages, I tell you. Some really good stuff. I did a commentary on the book of Acts, chapter by chapter in hospital. And when I got home, I continued it. I remember getting to Acts chapter 8, and it says, and everywhere they went, and the Holy Spirit said to me, you know, trouble with the church is people just go to platforms or pulpits. It's an everywhere we go. After they receive the anointing of Pentecost and the power of God, whether it's standing at a food table, giving food to people like Stephen, whether it's in a revival in Samaria, what would have you done if you were Stephen? Hey, I don't want to go to one guy, one Ethiopian guy on a dirt road. I'm in the middle of a revival here. Come on, Jesus. Wherever they went, one person, big crowd, behind a table, wherever they went, signs and wonders followed them. Did you know that that Ethiopian man who discovered Jesus and got baptised that day when Philip jumped on the chariot to talk to him, today Ethiopia's got the largest Christian, uh, uh, you know, amount of people in that nation. About 60, 70% of that nation is Christian. I want to tell you, don't underestimate one choice that you make, one person that you touch and the difference that that can do. And so I had blood transfusions, chemo, and I was released from hospital just recently. I've had six rounds of chemo and I've had to go back in because I found a viral infection. And so now I'm having infusions for that. And so I go, okay, I'll go and serve God during the week, uh, on the weekends, and I'll go back in for treatment during the week. And it's going pretty good so far. Uh, But, you know, the reason why I say all that is not to be self-serving tonight, but that is because the greatest I think foundation of my life has always been the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, let's do something else. We're just a religion like the others. Pick the one you want. But I want to tell you tonight, Jesus did rise from the dead and the fact of the resurrection motivates everything I do in my life. And I believe that uh, God is so, so real that even in the midst of pain and sickness, He speaks. My favourite chapter in the Bible is Romans chapter 12 because it's written to the Italians. And so if you go to Romans 12, the Romans are Italian. And it says, in view of what he has done for you, present your body to God as a living sacrifice. Too many people are serving the church without having a clear view of what he's done for us. Because when I have a view of what he's done for me, no sickness, no attack on this fallen planet that we live in is going to stop me from serving the one I know is real, the one who, because he's the resurrection, we will all live again for eternity. Because of him, all dead things can come to life. A dead marriage can come to life because of the resurrection. A dead business can come to life because of the resurrection. It's just who God is. And tonight, I believe he wants to touch people in that area. It says here in 1 Corinthians 15, and if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Verse 32, if there will be no resurrection from the dead, and if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. Friends, we have an inner assurance when we follow Jesus. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, there's an inner assurance. I've had it for 40 years or more. Without Jesus, we approach life with the expectation of death. With Jesus, we approach death with the expectation of life. And so I believe tonight that Jesus is more than just a good teacher. In fact, all through history, people have uh, spoken about this, but Jesus himself claimed to be the Son of God, on equal footing with God. He assumed the authority to forgive sins. He said that one day he would judge the world, and, that would, uh, and what would matter then would be how we had responded to him in this life. As C.S. Lewis said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. But let's not come up with this patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that open to us. He didn't intend to. He continued to say it seems obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. God has landed on this enemy-occupied world in human form. The greatest dynamic of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 500 people saw him uh, firsthand after he, uh, he came back to life. Former Chief Justice of England, Lord Darling, said of the resurrection, it's in, in its favour as living truth, there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection story is true. The only satisfactory explanation for these facts is that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead and thus confirms that he was and is the Son of God. And friends, we believe that tonight. I'm a Christian because it's the truth. I'm not a Christian because it's an, one of many choices. 
It's the truth. And if you take a good hard look, and I haven't got time to go through all the stuff that I've written down. But I want to tell you, when it becomes personal to you in the midst of your pain, it's not just something you know in your head. It's something you know deep down within. And, you know, there are things I've preached over the years. I, I never saw my sermons as sermons. I saw them as activators or I felt that we can preach without reach. But we have to reach when we preach so that people can take stuff home and they become pillars in their life. And I look back over my life and the things that God has showed me that now I've had to practice in my own sickness, in my own journey. I remember one time I was in Scotland and at four o'clock in the morning, we had to leave to uh, go and catch a flight to Sweden uh, where we were going to a pastor's conference and uh, the lift had broken in this little old pub in Scotland that we were staying in. It's four o'clock in the morning. We can't take our suitcases into the lift. And so I'm pushing one in front of me, one behind me, down the stairs, four flights of stairs. By the time I got to the bottom, one of my suitcases broke. And all the clothes came out. I'd bought shoes and I'd bought stuff for the kids and, and, and somehow I couldn't get it all back in again. Have you ever felt like the whole stuffing's fallen out of your life and somehow you can't put the pieces back together again? And I remember getting on my knees on the floor trying to get the clothes back into the suitcase and I said to God, I want to go home. <laughs> I'd already been on the road about two and a half weeks and we had about another two weeks to go. It was a long trip. And I was tired. It's four o'clock in the morning. I said, oh, I want to go home. And I felt God say to me, you know how many Christians halfway through their journey of faith, the stuffing falls out of their lives with issues that happen and they just want to go home. They don't want to finish their race. Their soul, as I know you've been speaking on the soul, gets so crushed and hurt, they go, I ain't got the energy anymore. I don't know if I can do this. It's pretty sad that statistics say that most Christians are in church 2.8 times a month, whatever that means. And you think, really? I actually think if you have a revelation of the resurrection, it doesn't matter, you'll be there all the time to honour and worship. Not because of what he's going to do and he will do things, it's because of what he did. And what he did on the cross is enough for me to give him my worship if he never answers another prayer. He's already done enough for me to be a worshipper of him with a passion in my heart to declare him as Lord. We got some duff tape or daft tape, whatever you call it, put it around the duff tape, daft tape, put it around the suitcase. But by the time we got to the airport, someone had heard about it that early in the morning and turned up with a brand new suitcase. And I felt God say to me, I don't do patch up jobs. I don't put tape around your life. I make you into a new creation. I give you something totally brand new. And, and, and I'm grateful for that tonight. A short time after that, and if the guys can get ready to put this on screen. A short time after that, I was in South Africa. Only a short time after this experience that I had. And I was in South Africa and I'd been to African nations where people will walk two hours to get to church. People with broken limbs will, will struggle to go and worship their God. And, and I'm on the tarmac in Johannesburg and I said, God, how is it that in the Western world we get so ticked so quickly with stuff? And, you know, and our Christianity sometimes is the first to suffer or our, our fellowship with one another. And what is it? And in my head came these thoughts. And I've discovered when anything smarter than I can think of comes into my head, it's probably God. And so he said to me, I believe, you judge it tonight. He said, well, we just haven't learned to go on the full journey of faith. And I said, the full journey of faith. 
Like, I don't understand that, the full journey of faith. And so what happened was I pulled out a pad. I didn't have iPad in those days, and just a pad that I had in my pocket and a pen. And I wrote what I want to show you right now because it actually became a foundation for our whole church. It became our foundation with new Christians, people that come to faith. You see, we tell people to receive Jesus, but we don't often tell people to follow Jesus. And let me tell you, if you receive him, you'll want to follow him. You can't receive him and not follow him. And the journey of faith has to go to full completion. And so what happens if we can put up the first one? When we first come to Jesus, we find his great love. We are comforted and we get revealed who Christ is. Christ is revealed through comfort of the gospel. The gospel comforts us, you know, and we discover, hey, God loves me. He's got a wonderful plan for my life. And, and Christ is revealed through the comfort of the gospel. Stage two, we find connection with the church. We come into connection with people that, that are, are wanting to follow Christ as well, and we find that incredible connection. Now, I want you to hear me. Do you know how many people never go past this stage? They want to be comforted by the gospel, and they want to be connected, and when those things go away, they go to another church. Oh, I don't feel comforted anymore. doesn't feel like it used to be. At least they used to wear suits Sunday morning. Now they just look like these sort of... I did wear my jeans with holes, but... The, I've just been in New Zealand. The big argument was whether people should be on the stage with holy jeans. I said, I'm already holy. It's okay. No problem. <laughs> so comfort and connection. And then someone hurts us in the kitchen, upsets with us in the car park. Oh, well, I'm disconnecting. I just don't like this place anymore. So we go from comfort to connection, but we often don't go to stage three. And stage three is the cause of Jesus Christ that reveals the cross. When we have a real revelation of who Jesus really is, we embrace his cause. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't serve the church. I serve Christ through the church. I serve Christ through the church. So when the church hurts me, Christ doesn't. So I don't have to disconnect because it's not about what the church does. It's about what Christ does in me because I've had a revelation of the cross. When I've had a revelation of the cause of Christ, then I can make a commitment. Too many people make a commitment to work at the church without having the cause established in their hearts. See, the cause is for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. I'm married to Jesus. And he signed the wedding certificate with his blood, so he ain't going to divorce me. And I want to tell you, friends, when you make a commitment, you come into community. Because when you make a commitment, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. I mean, you know, Batman had Robin. You don't do solo Christian watching Joyce Meyer on TV on Sunday morning. As nice as she may be, she won't visit you in hospital. I send my money to Joyce Meyer. Really? Well, bring her up when you're sick. See if she'll come and visit you. I mean, honestly. So I'm trying to rush. Okay. So crisis, crisis is the next one. Someone said to me, Pastor Danny, is speaking in tongues the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? I said, no. They go, you're a Pentecostal. You should say Yes. I said, no. I said, well, what is it? I said, trouble. <laughs> when you make that kind of commitment that is non-negotiable, the devil hates you and crisis will come your way. And but say, crisis builds your character. That's why in James chapter one, it says, when trials of any sort come your way, consider it all joy because your endurance has a chance to grow. And when your endurance is fully grown, ladies and gentlemen, you have need of nothing. When I dealt with my cancer issue, 
It didn't work. As an Italian, I used to think, who's going to visit me? And my uncle's going to come, and my auntie's going to come, you know, that sort of community. I got to a point with my cancer issue that it didn't matter who came. It didn't matter if I never preached again. It didn't matter what happened, because me and Jesus were fine. And if you get to that place, you become nice to be around. If you get to that place, people are going to be around you. Because see, crisis develops your character. And then the next one is what happens is your convictions are formed out of your crisis. What you really believe is not what comes out of your mouth. It's what you live. And so your convictions are formed and they become your credentials. You don't need a denomination to give you credentials. God gives you credentials. And when you come through your convictions operating in full swing, you will end up with your credentials, which will bring you to consistency and the completion of your faith. Seven stages of faith I'd never seen. I thought it was such a good thing to teach our church. I didn't think I'd be tested on it. I'm glad the gospel still comforts me tonight. I'm glad I'm still connected to the body of Christ and I haven't gotten bitter over the years because you think enough is enough. How much more suffering? And you can get all sick, all sick on the inside. But I decided, no, I'm going to stay connected. I'm going to stay embracing the cause of Christ. I'm going to stay committed. I am going to have my convictions lived out in my life and around my family. And I am going to have that consistency of my faith because I want to finish my race strong. You see, when I went to Sweden... What happened was that 3,000 pastors in a meeting who'd been saying, we don't have future generation leaders to plant churches. And God spoke to my heart and said, I want you to get everybody under 30 to come and stand with you on the altar. Well, there were 1,500 of them. So they were down the aisles. They couldn't all stand on the altar. I sent these young people back into the crowd to pray for the baby boomers and the dads and ask for the spiritual dads to come and join with the younger generation and pray for each other and release each other. And churches were planted that following year as a result of those young people being believed in and released to go and start churches. What would have happened if I had said, I'm going home? How many people have walked out on their faith because of stuff that has happened? But you see, when you live from eternity, you judge everything from eternity. And so when I was speaking in the hospital, I remember just the other week, one of my doctors comes in, he sits down and he goes, Danny, do you realise that most people with your condition haven't made it? The night before I was released last week, three people died on my ward. Same condition. And so he says to me, you are... Uh, messenger of hope. Can you come and speak to our doctors? He said, will you also come and, uh, and speak to uh, not just the doctors, but speak on behalf of the Leukemia Foundation because we need hope again. Will you be a messenger of hope? They rang me from New Zealand. They said from Christchurch, just after what happened in Christchurch. I said, I can't come. I was booked to go. I said, I can't come. They said, well, will you record the message at the hospital? So I asked if I could use the chapel. So a cameraman comes in, I get out of my bed, I go down to the chapel and I preach this prophetic word to the church in Christchurch and the presence of God fills the room, it was empty chairs. There's not a single person in the room and the cameraman's bawling his eyes out <laughs> and I'm bawling my eyes out and I go, I don't need the pulpits that crowds can build for you wherever God wants you to be and the very place he puts you in, whether it's in a chapel at a hospital or whether it's in a factory or anywhere else, the resurrection power of Jesus can empower you. My prayer is that we embrace the full journey of faith.
because of the resurrection. Jesus went all the way to the cross. He didn't stop in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've run out of time. I want the musicians to come. But I just want to share a couple of things just to encourage you. I felt God wanted people to have hope tonight. You see, what happened was uh, the doctor who operated on my bowel in 2.17 comes to visit me. He sits in my room. This is just this last lot of cancer treatment. And he says to me, Danny, do you pray for me? I said, yes, I do. I even tell jokes about you too. I said, I preach about you. He goes, do you pray for me? My dad just passed away. He comes from Fiji, I think, or one of those nations. And, uh, and he says, my dad just passed away. He was the head of our family and mum can't cope real well. And I'm going to visit her. Did God speak to you about your son dying? I showed him the last message my son ever preached or was going to preach, we think, the day he passed away. He teared up. He says to me, so you connected with God at that level? I said, yes. He said, will you keep praying for me? This is the surgeon who operated on me. The next day before he flew out to see his mummy, he came again and just sat in the chair. As he leaves the room, a guy comes in with a tray full of food and you really need a miracle from God to eat that food. But anyway, he brought it in. I'll be real quick. And he said, uh, he said uh, you're Pastor Danny, aren't you? I used to go to Paradise Church. I used to be in your youth group. My life is so stuffed up, but didn't use the word stuffed up. And he goes, my life is so messed up. I'm addicted to all kinds of things. And I don't know if God will even have me back. Help me, Pastor Danny. I'm in bed, all tubed up. There was no musicians come to the stage. There was no preparing the atmosphere. And I'm praying with him. And then I get a phone call from a guy called Peter, and I'll finish with this. Peter, there's so many stories, but Peter rings up. He goes, Danny, I'm, you remember me, Peter Niuta, who owned La Cucina Italian Restaurant in North Adelaide. He said, the day your son's funeral took place, a whole lot of pastors came that booked it to come and have a dinner before they flew out. He goes, I shouldn't have been listening, but I was listening and there was something in that room. Even though you'd lost your son, there was hope and I've just been diagnosed with stage four cancer. He actually lives about four streets away from us. Can I come and see you? So he comes to see me and I'm still having cancer treatment myself. We go for breakfast and we pull up in the, in the car park and he can hardly walk. And he says to me, how many Hail Marys do I have to do for God to listen to my prayers? I said, Peter, you don't have to do anything like that. But let me tell you how real God is. And first of all, Peter, you might not get healed. But I want to talk to you about eternity. Now let's fix that first. And then I'm going to pray like mad for you to be healed. But let's get eternity fixed. He goes, that makes sense. The next day, the next day I get his first prayer. Sends me a text and this is his prayer. Hi Danny, hope you are well. I'm going to start today with a prayer for both of us and others that are not well. Remember today is a new day with new babies being born. We are glad, Lord, we will see another day. Give us strength and give strength to our wives that look after us. And remember, Lord, our wives are beautiful angels that we love. Thank you, Lord, for the birds we hear outside. May today be a great day. He rang me three or four days ago. He's on holidays in Coffs Harbour. His wife's turned 50. He said, can you pray for my wife that her life will be different now that she's turned 50? Can we catch up when we get home? Our house has become a place for the unchurched to come 
not because I've been totally made 100% well, but because through the journey, through this journey of faith, He is still Lord. He is present. He gives His peace and His purpose never leaves you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.